0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Catalyst Wedding Review Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Jen Smacco, and this week we are reviewing a 2008 movie that is a little less lighthearted than some of the rom-coms we've talked about in the past. We're going to be reviewing Rachel Getting Married, starring Anne Hathaway, and in addition to a spoiler alert, which I usually put out at the beginning of these, um, I do also want to give a little bit of warning that this movie deals a lot with loss and addiction, and some things get pretty emotional. That being said, I am very glad to be talking about this movie because it's it's a really good movie, and of course, I'm not here alone, so I'd like to welcome my guests. Diana Askarins. Hi. (laughs) Diana is a wedding and commercial photographer living in Austin, Texas with her dog Moon Pie. So welcome, Diana.
1: Hello. Hi, everyone.
0: Um, And Moon Pie is the best name ever. Um, Oh, my gosh.
1: I mean, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life. (laughs) Just coming up with that name, I was like, it's perfect. She's such a pie and she's It feels like she's from another planet sometimes.
0: And Moon Pie is there with you, right?
1: She is. She is trying. She's focusing on a banana right now and uh, trying not to bark at ladies power walking in my neighborhood.
0: (laughs) Yes. So we might we might hear a little barking, but that's just Moon Pie trying to join in on the conversation. So yeah, tell us a little bit about how you got started as a wedding photographer.
1: Oh man, what a story. Okay, so I originally went to school to just like a four-year university, and I was like, I'm gonna do French psychology. I didn't know what I was doing, but I was like, I'm supposed to be here. And then about two to three years into it, I was really unhappy and decided that I actually really wanted to study photography. So I dropped out of that school, went to another school, studied photography for three years, and graduated with a degree in commercial photography. And after that, I just... I had student loans to pay, so I just got a job immediately just as a kind of lowly graphic designer position where I was just resizing images and things like that. So um, I did that for a few years, and eventually my husband and I got the opportunity to move to Austin. And... That was the same year we got engaged and so I was kind of going through all of the craziness of wedding planning and I met this musician who was also getting married and she needed a wedding photographer and I said you know I haven't really shot a lot of weddings. I shot one kind of just sporadically and she was like that's okay like your work is great let's do this and so I photographed her wedding and she actually sang at my wedding. It, It turned out really well. She's She's incredible. Her name is Casey Harper. She has a voice of an angel. Um, She's just like so good. After that, I really kind of fell in love with the idea of photographing weddings for people who are kind of like me, who maybe didn't have this image of their mind of maybe ever getting married. I really had a great time at her wedding. Her friends and family were so awesome. I don't think I really met Casey in person or even talked to her on the phone before the wedding. But when I was at her wedding, I was crying. And I was like, I don't even know you guys. This is beautiful. (laughs) So, So I just really fell in love with it. So I kept doing it. And When we moved to Austin, I did not have a job, and I kind of just threw myself into it and kept going, and here we are, and it's almost two years later, and I really just love it. It's always evolving. I feel like my work is always getting better, too, and I've learned so much about the business end of things. You know, if you're a photographer and you hear people shit on wedding photography, just don't just don't don't be one of those people because it's actually amazing and the community is incredible and you can just make really beautiful work and meet some incredible people in the process
0: yeah and so if you are in the austin area or really anywhere in the world because diana does travel diana is a member of our vendor directory so you should definitely consider hiring her for your wedding so why did you choose for us to review rachel getting married today
1: It's one of my favorite movies ever. I generally love movies where there's family drama, some comedic relief, and strong female leads. Like, that's my Netflix category. (laughs) That's what (laughs) told me that I like. And this has all of that, and it's super musical. It's just... Really intense, and I definitely don't have anywhere near the amount of family drama that this movie has. But I mean, like everyone, I have a little bit. And I mean, even though it's such an intense movie, and you cry like 20 times when you're watching it, it's still hopeful and it's just beautifully shot. Like, I love watching movies, and I really love the way it's shot. It feels like you're there, and it's all mainly in one location. There's just so much talking. I also love movies where people are just, it's just mainly a long conversation. Um, this is one of those, for sure.
0: It's a very intense movie, but it's very, very well done. And as the title says, somebody's getting married, but there's so much more going on than just the wedding. But of course, we'll talk about the wedding and... There's a lot that I really love about how this particular wedding is portrayed, but we're going to go by plot point by plot point. Just so for anybody who's listening at home who hasn't seen this movie, once again, you'll be kind of in the loop. So spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what happens in this movie, stop listening now, go watch the movie and come back to the podcast. The very, very start of the movie, basically we see the main character, Kim, played by um, Anne Hathaway, is getting picked up from rehab by her dad and her dad's wife, Carol. And so it's already kind of a tense situation. She's getting picked up from rehab. Uh, It's clear that she's been in rehab for quite a while, um, Mm -hmm. and she's very nervous about seeing her family, and it's all kind of exacerbated by the fact that she is going home for her sister's wedding and her sister Rachel is getting married. She's asking her dad about like who all is going to be there. She's nervous that there's going to be a million people there that she doesn't know. When you start off with the fact that like going to a wedding is stressful enough... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Um especially when there's going to be a lot of people at the wedding that you don't know and you add into this the factor of having been in rehab um, mm-hmm. as being the first time with the exception of maybe a visitor two that she has seen her family automatically like they're driving home and it's already starting to get to her. they get back to the house the the wedding is happening at her dad's home they're in Connecticut it's a huge house I have Mm -hmm. no idea what her dad does
1: I read a little bit about it and I think they were trying to sort of give the impression that he was in the music industry or something also I mean Connecticut old money old white men I mean (laughs) whatever
0: just assume (laughs) that they have money Um, yeah yeah (laughs) Basically from the beginning, the kind of cultural context of their, their family is very confusing to me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: it's super confusing.
0: Kim gets back to the house and she goes up to see her sister and say hello to her sister who is getting, gets the final fitting of her wedding dress with her best friend, Emma. And it's clear that like Kim and Emma clearly hate each other. Kim is right out of the gate, making some hurtful comments to her sister, saying things like, you're so thin, I swear you were throwing up again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not great. They have a little bit of a moment of joy and reconnecting and reminiscing about things when they were a kid, but mostly it's like a fleeting moment. And there's a lot of Kim kind of dealing with the fact that like, she doesn't really feel like she belongs. So yeah, I do want to talk about the family, a little bit, because there are just all these people there.
1: Yeah, so it's just kind of a sprawling family, and yeah, so when Kim does get picked up from rehab, you see her dad and his wife. His wife is played by this actress who is also in Nurse Jackie, and she's this African-American woman, but she's incredible.
0: She plays, like, the hospital director in Nurse Jackie. She has a plays rainbow's mom in blackish which she's really
1: great oh yeah she's she's amazing so you're trying to figure out like okay so maybe his dad is remarried what is happening and then you get to the house and she's with her sister and you're like okay so what where is you know her mom so you realize that you know her dad and her mom are divorced or separated at this point, and there's just a whole lot of tension, I think, In the first five minutes of the movie, you get like kind of a hint at like what all of the underlying tension is based on.
0: Well, there's a comment made by one of the other people who is in rehab with her. Who he says something to Kim, a very snide comment as she's waiting to get picked up. Of of have you killed anybody with your car lately? We know at the very beginning that Kim, while under the influence has been responsible for taking the life that's kind of all we know at the very beginning Mm
1: -hmm. her sister and her and this girl emma have a very weird relationship it's emma obviously wants to be part of this sister situation and you know anne hathaway is just also just like so jealous of emma's closeness to her sister I don't know I think watching her make all those snag comments to her sister my first thought was like oh she's in her like own weird way she's trying to like I don't know relate to her sister by saying like oh remember how you were so messed up like just like how I messed up now like we're so similar (laughs) like can we relate on these points you know instead of relating just making it super awkward instead pretty much I don't know every other scene of the movie you'll see somebody in the background just like playing a guitar it's a lot of like Kind of getting ready for the wedding, but there's constantly like kind of live music playing throughout the movie. And just getting ready for this podcast, I remember really loving all of the music in this movie. And I went and read about it, and I read that it was actually like all of the music in the movie is recorded live as they were filming the movie. Oh, awesome. Which it, it's really cool. I love everything about this movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's a little bit tense. She tells her dad that she needs to get to a meeting and asks which car she can drive. And he says he he doesn't feel comfortable letting her drive. He offers to drive her there. There's definitely tension between them around this point. Um, So she ends up riding a bike over to Mm -hmm. the meeting. She has Mm -hmm. to pee in a cup to prove that she's sober. Uh, And then she goes into the meeting, NA and AA meetings have become part of the kind of general consciousness when we watch TV and Law and Order and SVU and all these things that we see of what apparently it's like to be a recovering addict. But her fellow addicts at this meeting are talking about how they're tired of starting over from square one. And it's clear that Kim is really connecting with them on this point of, like, tired of starting over, over, over again. And there is a man that is speaking at the NA meeting. And when she gets back to the house, she discovers that that man is actually the best man at the wedding. Mm -hmm. Kim meets Rachel's fiancé, Sydney, for the first time, and also meets Kieran, who's the best man, and they immediately go have sex in the basement. <laughs> um, and she makes some joke about how, like, the best man and the maid of honor are getting it on in the basement, and Kieran says, well, isn't Emma the maid of honor?
1: She immediately just is like, oh... Now this moment is ruined, and I want to just die again. <laughs> like, I feel like she was on such a high, and they were, like, flirting. And then he said that, and it was just like, oh, don't touch me.
0: <laughs> yeah, she's clearly very upset. Kim goes back to her sister and Emma, and they're trying on their sorries for the wedding. Which, this is where... <laughs> I have to pause because I'm very confused about this wedding. And yes. Rachel and Kim and their family are all white with the exception yes. of their stepmom and the groom is black and mm-hmm. Kim's family Lahayim, is is shouted many times at toasts so mm-hmm. um possibly Jewish but the a lot of the wedding traditions that are being set up over the course of this movie are more mm-hmm. Hindu.
1: Yeah, so uh like it's never explained in the movie if maybe his family, I don't know, has some like Hindu roots or anything like that. Um you do get the sense that his family and he is super worldly. Like his friend yeah. gives a speech later about how he was in Jamaica and it just feels like, you know, he's been around. And I'm like, I wonder if maybe at some point they lived in India together. And yeah, I was trying to figure out why,
0: why that. Is this cultural appropriation? I really am not sure. I'm like- not sure. Sure. Um, I can't get a sense of what is actually genuine to their beliefs and their culture as a family unit. But then again, there are people coming from all different backgrounds to this wedding, and so it's a it's a little on the line for me of like what they actually believe and what they what their culture is versus they just think it's pretty.
1: (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it feels like a super diverse wedding, and yeah, you're not quite sure what everyone's background really is. I'm still not sure about it. It's definitely pretty. I think if I, in real life, if I had, you know, two friends who were white and had never been to India, had no like connection to India in any kind of way and told me they were just, you know, kind of lifting this part of Indian culture to use at their wedding because they thought it was pretty, I probably would give them some side eye and be like,
0: "Mm,
1: are you sure you want to do (laughs) that? Like, maybe don't. Not so cool. (laughs) Yeah, maybe that's like not yours to just take and use. Yeah, I don't know. It's not clear. It's definitely not clear in the movie what that came from and who decided to do that and why they decided to do that. Because they could have just as easily just had it be super kind of informal, creative, casual wear. (laughs) And I think you would have still gotten all of the emotion out of the movie, you know.
0: But back to the plot. So Kim is upset that Emma is the maid of honor and she kind of aggressively approaches Rachel and Rachel admits that she wasn't sure if Kim was even going to make it to the wedding. Um, And Kim gets angry about this. And finally there's some reference to when Kim was a teenager and she was in the cover of Seventeen magazine wearing a lilac shirt because she's like, I don't want to wear this. Sorry, I don't wear lilac. So we kind of get a sense that maybe she worked as a model as a teen, um, mm-hmm. but she also says that she was on horse tranquilizers. Basically, we get a sense that like her issues with drugs started at a very early age and possibly because mm-hmm. she was working as a child model. And so finally, Emma kind of angrily concedes that it's clear that Emma is furious that she's being asked to step down as maid of honor. Um, and so she screams at Kim, like, not everything is about you. And Kim's like, it's not about me. It's about sisterhood. Sisterhood conquers all. <laughs> um, which I felt like was like a kind of strange thing for her to say mm-hmm. at this point. Yes.
1: And I think, um, Kim, she's saying that and knowing that it's not totally true about her and her sister, that they don't have, like, this super tight sister bond, maybe as... uh, She just wants the bond to be better, stronger, and she wishes that, you know, sisterhood conquers all... She wants that to apply to her, you know, sister relationship, and just by not you know, automatically being elected as the maid of honor. She's just not sure if that's true.
0: They very quickly keep going back and forth, Kim and Rachel, between like being friends and being enemies. And I mean, Mm -hmm. for a lot of people, that is what sisterhood is like, (laughs) but it's clearly exacerbated by their past and everything that's gone on between them. Then we go to not so much a rehearsal, but a kind of like rehearsal party toast. Everyone's playing music, everyone's making toasts. It's this whole big kind of performance in honor of Rachel and Sydney, which is really awesome.
1: It's amazing. And it's all like you see these rooms where these long tables are. And I'm like, whose house is this? Like, this house is amazing. Like, if it it's all these people. It's incredible, and also we haven't mentioned this, but the person who plays Sydney is one of the members of TV on the Radio, the band. Mm,
0: and I did not put that together as,
1: as soon as the, I mean, I recognized him immediately because I was super into TV on the Radio at one point, and I was so impressed with his performance and. Just, he was, he's just so wonderful. Like, he does so much so subtly. It's just amazing. It's amazing. There's also, like, all kinds of interracial relationships in this movie, and it's awesome.
0: He does a really great job, the actor. And even though they've only just met Kim and Sydney, there are definitely a lot of moments where he shows her a whole lot of empathy when other people Mm -hmm. don't. And his best friend, who's the best friend, Kieran, who she first meets at the NA meeting, obviously he has been through rehab and has suffered from addiction himself. So Mm
1: -hmm.
0: he also shows quite a bit of empathy to Kim's character when her immediate family does not. And that's obviously because they have a lot of history, which we are soon to find out about. Um But it definitely seems like since Sydney has been through similar things with his friend Kieran, he can kind of understand and relate to what it's like with Kim and what she's gone through and what her family has gone through. And so it's a it's a really interesting pairing of them as a couple, but also that, you know, it's nice that she is about to have a brother in law who is more supportive than some of her family even is yes exactly the rehearsal party performance is the first time that we hear mention of ethan so one of the friends is giving a toast and is somebody that you know apparently has has been with Her dad has known her dad, has worked with, presumably, the music industry with her dad for a really, really long time. And so he makes comments about, you know, how he's known Rachel and Kim since they were little. And he also mentions Ethan, who was their little brother, and in honor of him, makes a toast. Obviously, we see Kim get very emotional at this mention, and it's the first time we realize that they have a little brother who's no longer alive. And so we don't know the full story yet, but it's pretty clear that there's a connection between these two things. So there's also a lot of questions of like, when am I going to see mom? Where's mom? Hasn't she shown up yet? So her, their mom doesn't show up until well into the dinner that evening. And they're also making comments of like, did she get the date wrong? Does she know (laughs) like, where she's supposed to be. And so our mom finally shows up and it's very awkward. There's so much
1: just shots of all the characters kind of just like looking or reacting Mm -hmm. in some tiny way, making these like, just, you know, little gestures or movements with their faces and they're having like 10 emotions all at once. And you're like, oh yeah, like I've definitely been in a room where, you know, somebody's talking or somebody's doing something and everyone else is just looking at each other like what is happening (laughs) um but yeah her mom finally makes it and it's super awkward and you can tell she's uncomfortable just being there and you can tell that Rachel and Kim her daughters are just a little bit desperate for her attention or just like some sign of love from her
0: You know, and this is the big reunion moment for Kim and her mom since she got out of rehab, and she seems pretty disinterested. Her mom Mm -hmm. seems pretty disinterested in in seeing Kim, and she's much more focused on Rachel, which is understandable. I mean, it's Rachel's wedding. Like, I I cannot imagine what that would be like to come into a reunion-type situation at somebody else's wedding. It's such a stressful situation on its own, mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. at a wedding with family you haven't seen in a long time, to also add this additional element onto it. You know, there's all this extra family dynamics that the guests don't know about, that it's, it's unclear how many of them even know that Kim was in rehab. We kind of get the sense that most of them did, but it's still a very awkward scenario. <laughs> yeah
1: it's funny because all throughout the movie there are these super joyful moments that happen and where like you almost forget about you know this kind of looming doom that's hanging over everyone and they very quickly just come to a halt because someone is reminded in some way of Ethan but yeah this dinner scene is amazing the whole um, rehearsal is amazing there's performances by these, like, teens who are just killing it, and there's some spoken word, there's chanting, there's Tamira Gray from American Idol, which probably nobody remembers, but I remember because she's, like, from Atlanta or lives in Atlanta, and I'm from Atlanta, so (laughs) I just, like, remember her. It's from, like, oh my god, so many years ago, but um, she's there, and there's also like a comic that performs. It's sort of like, a, just like a, almost like a talent contest or something. <laughs> it's at a rehearsal and they just have all these super talented friends that perform for them. I think somebody gives like, like some kind of jazz performance too on their saxophone. Yeah. That's um, pretty, pretty amazing. I think my favorite, well, one of my favorite parts is when I think his mom talks. And I think she just says one word and everyone just starts laughing because she's, she just has like the tiniest voice you've ever heard. And Mm -hmm. she's so like adorable and she's just, she's just wonderful.
0: Yeah. She says something in one of, at the dinner about this is a rehearsal for what it's going to be like when we're all together in heaven and how blessed she feels that we get to enjoy it right now. Which mm-hmm. is a really sweet sentiment. But then again, we yeah. also have, like, Kim in the corner feeling like, this is my hell if this is everybody else's heaven, is kind of the, <laughs> the vibe yeah. that is coming off of her. And it's just so clear that there there's this joyous moment, but there's so much shit that their family needs to deal with.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. There's this point at the dinner where Emma... a speech about rachel and it's you know just about their relationship and their history and she talks about this one time when rachel sideswiped the cab and she became really good friends with the cab driver and then she ended up being like the paramedic that came out and it was just like this whole story and at the end emma goes you know she turns to sydney and she's like this amazing woman who can take you in a car, get you in an accident and then like end up, you know, with a date and um, making up a language and becoming really good friends with this taxi driver. They show a shot of Kim and she just looks like kind of shriveled. Like she's kind of remembering whatever accident that she had and feeling like she's just, yeah, she just feels, guilt and sadness, essentially. I think the first time I watched the movie, I didn't really put those two together. And watching it this morning, I was like, oh man, like, this is all just happening right there at the wedding. And maybe everyone else isn't like making the connection, but Kim is definitely like feeling, you know, all of it.
0: Well, and there are many times throughout the movie where I feel like Rachel and Kim are kind of put in a position to be seen as almost polar opposites. And this is one of those times where Emma's talking up Rachel's ability to, even if she does get into an accident or something bad happens, she was always able to come out of it. And that's just not then Kim's situation. There's also a lot of talk about the fact that, you know, Rachel is going to get her PhD in psychology. So there's, a bit of tension between Rachel knows a lot about the rehab program that Kim has gone through, but obviously she hasn't lived it. And so since Kim has lived it, they they have a little bit of a tension between, like, do you think you know what it's like from an academic standpoint, but that doesn't mean you know what it's like to actually have gone through it. Mm-hmm. And that comes up a few times. But it's also in Emma's speech where she says that she can't wait to visit them in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. and. This is the first time that Kim finds out that Rachel and Sydney are going to be moving away to Hawaii. There's also that tension there, and Kim is obviously very upset. So after everybody else gives a toast, Kim decides to give a toast. And yes. it's awkward. She says she wants to make amends to to Rachel. She says, I've been a nightmare, and you've been a saint. And it kind of wraps up okay, but pretty pretty much it's the same kind of thing where every time there is a joyous moment, the fact that it gets brought back to these dark memories kind of brings everybody down. And once they're finally back at the house after the dinner, maybe it was after everybody left or they went back to the house. I'm not really sure where that rehearsal happened because you're right. That doesn't <laughs> be in like if that's somebody's house, then it's a really nice house. It's once it's just back to basically like, Rachel and Kim and their dad and their stepmom and Sydney and Kieran, I think, are the only people there. And Rachel is just sharing it, how mad she is at Kim for using the venue of the rehearsal dinner to make amends and basically saying that you've had many opportunities to make amends to me and why did you choose now? And they get into a huge fight. And out of nowhere, kind of in the middle of this fight, Rachel announces that she's pregnant and Mm -hmm. everybody stops and everybody is just excited and is congratulating Rachel and Sydney and Kim is the only one who's not congratulating them because she's just really angry that Rachel has used this announcement to like completely stop the discussion which I don't know how, how do you feel about that
1: yeah they do the same thing to each other. It's just so weird. It's just like, I can definitely relate to Rachel where she's kind of upset that Kim decided to sort of make this rehearsal dinner about her when Rachel just wanted to have like this peaceful, joyful event. She didn't want, you know, her sister's addiction to be the center of this rehearsal dinner. And... Kim not being able to sort of stop and pull herself out of their bickering for just a moment to be happy with, for her sister, I think just speaks to like all of the emotional growth she has left to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You kind of go back and forth in this movie, feeling empathy for Kim and then feeling like, oh, she's incredibly self-centered, and she I totally understand why everyone just doesn't even want to think about her or be around her or is just trying to, you know, put all of these kind of safety walls around her so she doesn't do anything crazy. But yeah, I think I, I really wanted Kim to be able to just like stop her tornado of emotions for a moment and just be happy for her sister but you can see that she can't because she's still like deep in her like trauma and recovery and eventually rachel and sydney like everyone kind of just splits off and goes to bed
0: we don't really see any sort of resolve there Mm -hmm. and the next morning rachel kind of meets up with her mom and the two of them have a moment alone and her mom says one of the only things that I think is empathetic towards Kim the entire movie is that it can't be easy everybody knowing your troubles like that and other than that her mom doesn't really talk about Kim very much. They spend most of the time her mom has brought over some jewelry from the family that she wants Rachel to wear at the wedding and and Rachel's even like you know if you wanted to do more for the wedding you could and it goes back to this this kind of clear desire that they both want their mom to be a little bit more involved in their lives than she is and she's like no no your dad and carol are doing a great job that kind of continues to show that it's not just for their mom it's not just this frustration with Kim, it's the frustration or disconnect between her and the rest of the family. So while they're having this moment, Kim goes to another NA meeting, and I think Kieran's with her, and this is the first time that we hear the story of what happened. So Kim tells the story at the meeting of how she was 16, and she was babysitting her little brother, and she was high. And they drove to the park and they were having a great time and jumping in the leaves and everything was fine. And then while driving home, she lost control of the car and drove off a bridge into a lake and she couldn't get her brother out of the car seat. And so he drowned. I'm trying not to cry again. <laughs> I know. Me too. I'm like getting so um,
1: up. Because uh, she's crying while telling this story too. And everyone's looking at her, I mean, everyone in the meeting is looking at her with so much empathy and care. And she's obviously just, yeah, she's trying to come to terms. Yeah, she's broken. She's trying to come to terms and trying not to just hate herself, I think. And it's really hard.
0: Well, she says something at the meeting about how she appreciates the program and she can go around making amends, and she can put her apologies out there. And if people choose to forgive her or not, that's fine. But that she can't come to terms with a God that would forgive her for what she did and that she can't forgive herself. I think it presents a really raw view of what addiction looks like and recovery looks like that we don't get to see when our you know our only view into what those meetings are like are shows like law and order <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. we, we get to see that you could be sober for a really long time and it doesn't mean that your past is behind you in any way shape or form
1: <sighs> yeah it's a super tough
0: scene Kim and Karen come back from their NA meeting and you know Rachel and some other people are trying to set up like uh seating arrangements for the wedding and they're using all these little figurines to represent everybody and it's kind of the most adorable thing ever oh, it's so
1: cute I'm like who <laughs> has the time to write out all of these little tags like and who has all those figurines just lying around? Yeah, oh, like him's
0: like a little porcelain Dalmatian, and that's um, so cute. It is a really cute thing, and so I didn't, I never actually saw if they were on their tables at the reception, but oh, that would be really, really cute. But it, or that if they were simply just used to like represent people for the yeah. layout purposes. Yeah. But anyways. So then there is this really amazing scene that happens next where everybody kind of moves into the kitchen. They're they're bringing their their dishes in from lunch. And Sydney makes this joke to their dad about how he's been doing some sketches, which I think Mm. is the cutest and funniest thing ever. Some sketches of how to better load the dishwasher. (laughs) <laughs> um, which, in my household, like, my husband is the one that loads the dishwasher, right? I don't really know what I'm doing. Like, it's it's funny because it's a very relatable thing, I think, for most people that, like, people are particular yeah. about their dishwasher.
1: Um, yeah, everyone has a way they they think is the best way to do it, and yeah, you don't that. really find out what those differences are i think until you move in with somebody else whether it's a roommate or a partner and you see what they're doing and you're like but why why <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes and so sydney is basically saying to their dad like i think you could change your method of dishwasher loading and it turns into this massive dishwasher battle and so essentially, they like time Sydney and him loading the dishwasher. And it seems like he's doing really great. And then their dad is like, All right, it's my turn. And he is just crushing it. And he has 15 yeah. seconds left before he gets to uh, Sydney's time. And he's like, Well, I need more dishes. I've loaded all the dishes and I still have more room. So. Kim's part of the whole thing and she's happy and everybody's laughing and everybody's having a great time. And Kim pulls out a stack of dishes from the cabinet and hands them to her dad. And he's loading them in and then he stops because mm-hmm. one of the dishes is a little boy's plate with a truck and it says Ethan on it. Mm-hmm. And her dad just like freezes and starts crying. Yeah. And it takes a minute for everybody to realize what's happening. And then everybody just leaves the room without a word. Mm-hmm. And Kim yes. is just left there sitting alone, crying. Mm-hmm. And I think Sydney stays just to like give her a pat on the shoulder for a minute. Mm-hmm. And then it's just her by herself. So like, yeah, once again, there cannot be a moment yeah. of joy yeah, without it coming
1: to a screeching halt
0: yeah oh gosh The yeah, scene go is so hard it's such a hard scene because you're like this is this is fun this is happy it's something that I think most people can relate to and it shows like camaraderie between you know Sydney and his future father-in-law and and it's a really great moment and it's so mm-hmm. painful when it ends
1: I just, I love, you know, when scene is happy, it's so happy and it's so joyful. And I love that it comes from sort of this mundane activity of loading the dishwasher. Um, I just, I love that. And the plate is just, it's like, when I saw the plate, I was like, it, it was just like, oh yeah, I've seen like, I've seen so many of these plates. These are, they're like the kind of plates where like your kid draws something, and then the school is like, buy this plate with your kids drawing on it for $20. <laughs> and you're just like, okay, I'll buy the plate and because, like, some money goes back to the school. And so, yeah, like you said, the scene is so relatable. And as soon as, like, the viewer sees the plate, you already know this is about to just come to a stop. Like, and you are, like, I I have forever feeling kind of like, Oh God, like, what is about to happen? Is he going to cry? Is he going to storm off? Is he going to start yelling? Like what's going to happen? And it's super quiet. Like it just gets so quiet and everyone in the room just like slowly realizes what is happening. And it's just, you know, yes, it's, it, it just gets so like sad so quickly. And Yeah, that's probably one of the moments I kind of feel the most for Kim, because you can see she's just like, I can't win. No matter what, there's always going to be these moments where we remember him, and you're also going to remember that it's my fault.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah there's no coming back from it. There's no resolve. There's no discussion about it. It's just, Mm -hmm. you have to move on to the next scene, which is very, Mm -hmm. it's almost, you know, metaphorical for her life because there is never any resolve. Mm -hmm. It's just like, she just keeps moving forward until the next thing happens. Mm -hmm. Where everybody's left feeling like shit. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That next thing happens pretty quickly. We see them go to a hair appointment, like Rachel and all the bridesmaids go to get their hair and their nails done. And very randomly, a man comes up to Kim and is like, do you remember me? We were in the hospital together. And he says that he remembers her from, they did a anonymous story exchange where essentially it was a tactic used to try to see another person's experiences through a different lens. And he says that he got her note. And even though he knew it was supposed to be anonymous, he he knew that she would doodle in the margins and she had doodled poodles in in the Mm -hmm. margins. So he knew it was hers. Mm -hmm. And, He's talking very loudly at this hair salon about how Kim's story about being abused as a child, both her and her sister, by their uncle, and how her sister suffered from anorexia. And she had to help her sister recover from that. And basically hearing, reading that story is what helped him deal with his own abuse and help him with his recovery which it's this moment where he's, he's very emotional and he's trying to like thank Kim for the impact that her story had on him. But Rachel overhears this and is furious and basically storms out. And we find out very quickly that the story is a lie that Mm -hmm. it was not true that Kim wrote it just because she thought it was a good idea at the time. And later kieran even tries to explain that like he's not making excuses for her but saying that early on in the recovery phase it's very common for people to not be able to accept what they've done and so they make up stories and Mm -hmm. because rachel is just like so angry because from her education and psychology she's like rehab doesn't work if you're lying and she knows this so clearly rehab hasn't worked for her at all and rachel drives home and leaves kim behind kim has to get a cab back to the house and so we see rachel basically like shouting to her dad that she hates kim that she she doesn't believe that that kim is actually trying to recover, hasn't recovered, hasn't done what she needs to do in rehab. When Kim shows up, she basically, like you said, she confesses that she feels like she could be Mother Teresa now. She could do anything and make all the amends and do all these good things, but it wouldn't change the fact that to everyone in the family that she killed their little brother and it's all her fault. Oh, it's, it's so rough. It's so rough. It's so
1: rough. It's so rough. If Like, there's, there's like, a, a stretch of the movie where it just feels like nothing's going to get better. Um, it's a lot. And when that guy is telling her the story, Kim kind of is, like, trying to, you know, get this guy away from her because she knows that if her sister overhears that, she will be upset. And she totally was. And just her dad just being caring all the time but also like her dad and her stepmother hearing about like this fake story that she told are just kind of like totally confused and like why would you like why would you tell this story and her explaining herself and it's so complicated.
0: I'm trying to remember how long the guy said he had been sober it was a while. It's it's like that happened like five five plus years ago. So mm-hmm. we definitely get a sense then that Kim has gone through several rounds of rehab, several rounds of recovery and different places. Because she doesn't even remember him, really. (laughs) She doesn't. And she also asks, like, were you at so-and-so hospital? And he's like, oh, no, I couldn't get in there because I didn't have your coverage. And so we also see that, like, she's obviously got a little bit of privilege in that, you know, presumably her her family helps pay for her insurance Mm -hmm. for her to go to these treatment facilities. So... It's upsetting to know that she made up this story, especially since for a lot of people that actually happens and to use a story of abuse as an excuse, An excuse, yeah, is obviously yeah. not okay, but she knows that she shouldn't have done it at this point and... Mm-hmm. It's just like a, it's a lose-lose situation all mm-hmm. sure. um, The fight sort of gets to a tipping point, and Kim decides to take a car and, and leave. She takes her dad's station wagon, and she just goes. And we, we see her drive up to a gas station, and as the viewer, you're kind of, like, fearing the worst. Is she going to drink? Like, what's, what's happening? But what she does after that, and I don't think she drinks or anything at the gas station, but it's not totally clear. Um, It seems to me like she stays sober, but she goes to her mom's house. And the scene at her mom's house is just the most heartbreaking but also for me like from the second that she says that she was 16 it's like she was a kid yeah she was a kid um and so she finally she asks her mom why her mom chose to leave her in charge of her little brother and Kim goes on to kind of like you knew I was a drug addict, even at 16, like you knew I was constantly high. You knew I was down to like 50 pounds that I couldn't eat, that I was in this terrible shape. And so why did you leave a drug addict to watch your son? We get the sense that it's the first time that Kim has ever realized that like, maybe this isn't all her fault. And her mom is just like, you were good with him. I don't know what you were talking about. You just weren't supposed to kill him. Mm-hmm. And Kim kind of pushes back, like, essentially saying, like, I-, I was a kid. I needed help. And you left him with me. And her mom punches her
1: <laughs> in the yeah. face.
0: It's as if things couldn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: Yeah, they're they're both crying during this whole conversation, and I got the sense that maybe these were the questions that Kim was asking her mom were also questions that her mom had already asked herself in the past, yeah. and was already feeling guilt about that, but maybe hadn't expressed it already with anyone. It gets so tense, and yeah, I think she also says like, "I stole money from you." Like, I was obviously like a mess. Why did you think it would be okay for me for you to leave him, leave him with me, or for me to like have keys to a car, or like, you know, like all of these things? And yeah, she punches her, and then Kim like slaps her or hits her back in the face as well.
0: Yeah. Kim never asks this, but, like, essentially, there's an underlying question of, like, why didn't you do anything to help me? Um, Oh, yeah. You know, so clearly this had been going on for a while before Mm -hmm. it got to the point where she had Ethan in the car and lost control of the car and he died. And it it seems like that was the tipping point where they were like, okay, this is her fault. Now we need to get her help. Where clearly there had been issues going on before. And Mm -hmm. I know it's not, there's not, as a parent, there's not always something that you can do, but it definitely sets the stage of like, there wasn't a lot of support for her to get well Mm -hmm. as a child.
1: Yeah. Or I mean, I, you know, just watching the movie and seeing the dynamic of the dad and the mom. Maybe they just didn't want to admit to themselves that she had a problem. big of a problem. As she did.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a. Ugh, it's rough. So, yeah. Kim storms out after getting punched in the face and hitting her mom back, and she's crying and she's driving and basically she's she's crying as she's driving and we can kind of see in her face and in in the whole scene like the mental decision of like I'm just going to drive this car off of a cliff and she drives off the road and she hits a boulder and She's okay, and there's this moment of like, well, crap. <laughs> like <laughs> she essentially I kind of got the impression that she was ready to just have it be done with.
1: And I think she, yeah, she was committing suicide.
0: Is what she and thought she was doing. But yeah. That airbag went off and she was fine and she was uninjured and she was just exhausted so she falls asleep in the car and the next morning runners her going through the woods along the road see the car and call the police the police come they do tox screen kind of tests they make her walk in a straight Mm -hmm. line they um, make sure that she wasn't intoxicated um, and they let her go and so like she ends up back at the house. She gets dropped off by a tow truck. She has this huge black eye. Yes. So she is like, her dad's like, Why, what happened? Why didn't you call us? And she walks up to her sister's room where her sister is getting ready. And like the last time they saw each other, obviously, was this huge fight. And basically her sister opens the door and sees her black eye. It's like nothing happened (laughs) Um, with with their fight. She is like, just come Mm -hmm. here. And they have this really, there's a lot of, obviously, a lot of really emotional moments in this movie. But Rachel is essentially helping her bathe and get showered and get ready Mm -hmm. for the wedding. And it's the first time that Rachel sees that Kim has this kind of rose tattoo on her back with ethan's name and like they both kind of start crying and it's it's a very emotional moment Uh, rachel just
1: immediately becomes the caregiver and can see very clearly that kim is hurting and hurt and i i mean you don't see it in the movie but i'm assuming while she's helping her get ready, they have a conversation about what happened with her mom. And, but, you know, the wedding is that day and everything must continue. So so they have to keep going. Which really is like
0: the theme for this whole movie is that shit happens, but you've got to keep going. And so, so now we're to the actual wedding, which mentioned it pretty briefly but it is a really beautiful wedding it's at the house they have the ceremony essentially like in their living room and the vows are just really beautiful and each of them is basically saying like thank you for marrying me um and i really love that part of their vows It's
1: so good. I mean, Sydney sings at some point, and
0: he sings Neil Young, uh, unknown legend, as part of his vows, and it, yeah, everybody starts singing along.
1: when When Rachel comes down the aisle, everyone is chanting their names kind of quietly, and it's just really, it's really beautiful. It's, it's so personal. It's such a, all these, like, tiny personal touches they put on, like, just so many parts of the wedding just makes it I mean when Sydney started singing like I immediately started crying I was just like oh my god (laughs) so good and yeah it feels like you're at a real wedding because of the way they filmed it the camera angles the handheld video-ness of it there's things that go back and forth throughout the movie where it feels like somebody is just hand-holding a camera and filming, so it's a little bit shaky, but it doesn't feel low budget. It feels very intentional. intentional.
0: Yeah. And it almost seems like maybe there are some people at the reception because of the whole seat assignments discussion that weren't at the rehearsal, but it almost seems to me like everybody who was there the night before is there today. It was very much like this is our community. It wasn't like a big wedding where some people are at the rehearsal and the rehearsal dinner and now there's like Mm. an extra hundred people at the wedding. You know, it was very much like Mm. our community has been with us through this entire couple day ordeal, (laughs) which makes it even more special. Yeah, I also love that at the reception, like Sydney and Rachel put on aprons and are serving food to everybody.
1: Uh it's just so good this yeah is so good
0: they, so the reception is just in a tent in the backyard and they've got like a barbecue going and they bride and groom are out musicians. there serving food yeah, yeah.
1: Um, they've also got musicians just like littered everywhere just hanging off of you know the side of the porch just uh, in some ways this movie feels like a play it just has, like, a lot of those, like, scene breaks, and it, I don't know, it's just these people around playing, like, these tiny lutes <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, it's it's just wonderful.
0: Yeah, it, and it could be a little Shakespearean. <laughs> yeah,
1: for sure. yeah, and their house, I mean, it's not a house, it's an estate, like, they have so much, like, yard space for, like, a tent, like...
0: yeah. As much as it is a backyard wedding and, you know, their bride and groom are, are rocking aprons serving people food, it's still it's still obvious that the family has money, so we can't we can't just forget about that at one point. One of their friends announces, and now a word from our sponsor, Mr. Buckman, their dad, which I, oh. I think is my favorite way to introduce the father of the bride uh, that I've ever heard. A word from yeah. our sponsor. Um, throughout the whole wedding, it's, everyone's very happy. The relationship between Kim and Rachel seems like it's been resolved, and they're good. There's. I still don't know what's going on with the possible cultural appropriation here, like with the cake with the elephant on it. I
1: have no idea. I have no idea, and it's not explained. Like they don't it's ever. Completely explained. unexplained.
0: It. Like, still don't know if this is yeah appropriation or or not because there is this really sweet moment where Rachel's like can everybody do this with us? Like can everybody cut the cake with us? So everybody puts their hands in a big pile on the knife as they cut the cake, which is this blue cake, which I think Mm -hmm. Sydney says it has like turmeric in it. And it has a big elephant and it's got a lot of patterning on it that seems very... a lot of...
1: Ornate detail that's definitely in theme with their Indian themed wedding.
0: Yeah, um, but then as they cut the cake, they shout, Lahayam. I, you know, I'm still like <laughs> really yeah. happy.
1: Um, yeah.
0: But all that aside, throughout the whole thing, Kim is like looking at her mom, and her mom has no mark on her face from the slap, so. Uh, Whereas Kim has this huge black eye, very obvious black eye um, from being punched. And so they never speak about it. And Rachel even tries to get them to connect at the end of the night. And it just doesn't happen. I really love that
1: uh, Deborah Winger plays her mom. Mm -hmm. She's like the perfect choice for that. She's, I don't know. I think I heard of Terms of Endearment at some point in my life and I think it was just before my time and then I randomly found it on Netflix or HBO and watched it and I was like oh this is so complicated. Deborah Winger is great. Whatever happened to her? So I ended up in like a Wikipedia hole of information and I just read that she was this actress who was you know, quote unquote outspoken, which I think just basically meant that she had opinions and she expressed them mm-hmm. and people had a problem with that. Cause she's so, a woman. Cause she's a woman. And, <laughs> she, and I was, so I, that made me like her even more. And she just did such an amazing job on this movie. Cause she, she doesn't have a lot of lines. It's mostly just, she's just giving you feelings and emotions with her body language and the way she moves and just the way she moves her eyes around and this scene where they're cutting the cake and they're all putting their hands in one and she kind of puts her hand in two but she is the first one to pull her hand out Mm -hmm. and as soon as they cut it and kind of like be done with it she's she's just like barely at the wedding
0: and Rachel's like shocked when she's leaving early and she's just like well you know I'll I'll see you later (sighs) Um, Yeah.
1: She also left the rehearsal early, I think. Yeah, she tries to sort of get Kim and her mom to hug her and sort of like ease the tension. But it doesn't work. And it's just going to be awkward. It's just going to continue to be something they have to work on. Because I don't think you see her mom anymore after that Mm -hmm. point in the movie. So that's just that's the end of their sort of relationship in the movie, you just see her mom driving away, and, like, they're, like, n- non-hug hug, um, is their last
0: interaction. That terrible hug is also paired with a really great hug, <laughs> where Rachel and Sydney were kind of hugging slash slow dancing, and Kim comes oh, up yeah. and hugs her sister, and then Karen comes up, and all four of them are kind of in one big hug huddle, and then Kim is like, this is too cute even for me. Like, this is too cute for me. Yeah. Um, but that was, I thought, a really nice moment to, to show that, like, they've sort of resolved some of their issues. You know, obviously, there may still be issues that come up. And so that's kind of the end of the night. And the next morning, we see Kim packing up her bags. Her dad has sort of been, like the night before, was trying to set her up with somebody to get a job um, so she could live at home. And it's kind of clear that that Kim has made a decision that she's not really ready for that yet. Um, Mm -hmm. So she has called one of the counselors from rehab to come pick her up. And presumably go back to rehab. Rachel's there to kind of say goodbye. And it's a very supportive goodbye. And I kind of get the sense that this is the first time that like Kim has made the choice to get help on her own and not kind of been forced into it. And so things end on a really positive note, even though there had been all this terrible (laughs) tension throughout. Yeah. I don't know I think
1: you know I think it's probably a more realistic outcome of a movie that I've seen like it's hopeful but I mean there's still so many issues that are kind of unresolved you know her sister and her being able to have this super genuine hug at the end just makes you feel like everything is kind of fucked up but it's it's all maybe going to be okay eventually or at least to a point where people aren't punching each other in the face eventually and rachel goes with the counselor who you've seen once the beginning of the movie and she opens her trunk and you see that she has a stroller and she like pushes it aside and i do i did think about that scene i wondered if like, how conscious of a decision that was to have the stroller in the trunk, to have her push it aside to show that this woman has a child and has life outside of Kim and outside of being a counselor at rehab, and that even though she has a child, she is very empathetic with Kim and cares for her.
0: It's a it's a rough one, but it's a good one.
1: We didn't really talk about the reception or the dancing portion of the reception.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> there there's a lot of music. The dancing, I'm still on the fence about <laughs> in terms of cultural appropriation. Yes, <laughs> some of some of that is specific type of dance. Mm-hmm. Well, some of the. It-
1: is like it seems like sort of carnival dancers yeah and then there's a bunch of musicians that it seems like perform and sing throughout the dancing portion and yeah it does feel like you are at a reception because you're kind of just in the midst of like everyone dancing their hearts out and the wedding and the reception there are these moments where you're like is this cultural appropriation (sighs) um
0: i love how genuine this wedding is and i think it's a very realistic mm -hmm. depiction of a wedding i personally am like i don't know how i feel about some of the decisions granted it was 2008 Mm -hmm. so this movie is 10 years old That doesn't mean that cultural appropriation that happened 10 years ago is okay, but it does mean that our society has definitely changed its views about what is and is not cultural appropriation. Yeah, it's very different than it was in 2008. And so that's a little caveat I'll throw in there. I think if you if you come from the perspective of, you know, these are people from all over the world, family from all over the world, I'm yeah. not 100% sure that Sydney's family is African-American. Like, they could be yeah. from the Caribbean. I, they
1: it's could unclear. be Middle Eastern. But yeah, uh, it's unclear where they're from but it is it is pretty clear that it is like a very worldly group of people and yeah I don't know I think when I watched it the first time I think my sense was that it did feel like different guests in the wedding were contributing different things Mm -hmm. to the wedding and I think my you know hopeful side thinks oh maybe these were like friends or people that wanted to contribute this to the wedding they wanted it to be part of the wedding but then my more realistic side says oh they just they thought this was cool and they wanted it to be part of their wedding even if it wasn't necessarily part of their culture it's it's complicated it's
0: it's very complicated
1: (laughs) either way having performers dancers bands live music at weddings just in my experience is awesome. I'm talking to this couple right now that's getting married, and they want to have um, Arab bagpipers at their wedding, and I know it's it's just going to be amazing. Um, Anytime you tie in some kind of personal cultural thing to your wedding, and it's live, especially if you have relatives who are immigrants, I think it it just automatically makes things so much more personal, especially when it comes to music and dance. It's such a happy thing, and it, I don't know, it just makes weddings incredible. I 100% recommend if you're thinking of having any kind of dancer or anything like that at your wedding, do it. It's only going to make your wedding like more amazing.
0: I definitely agree, and that kind of leads me to... The final question that I ask of everybody when we're reviewing these movies because a big part of doing this podcast is to get a little bit more realistic about what we see in terms of weddings depicted in pop culture and that some of the things that we see and we think are super attainable might not be so Mm -hmm. what would you say as a wedding professional that you think this wedding costs?
1: Ooh, good
0: question. If you consider that they paid performers, where obviously, like, we get the sense Mm -hmm. that a lot of the people that performed were probably friends. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, they didn't have to pay for a venue. So that's a large chunk that, you know, they saved on. But they they probably spent at least 20K, at least. Because they had a tent, they had the food, they had all these performers, which means a lot of equipment and stage equipment and sound equipment, flights for various performers and family members, the rehearsal, the saris, the cake. I mean, I feel like around 30k seems to be the average for, and I would say at least 20k. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I was. I would say it looks like they did a lot of things to reduce the budget, so while they probably had to still get rentals for all the tables and everything uh, for mm-hmm. inside the tent and the rental for the tent itself, it seemed to me like a lot of the ceremony set up, and uh, it didn't... Seem like there was any wait staff that they hired obviously because Rachel and Sydney are serving the guests themselves I think they probably did save a lot but the cost of feeding that many people even if you cook the food Mm -hmm. yourself um it's still a lot it's still a lot I I think I think 20,000 is probably a conservative estimate it might be more in Connecticut
1: I would yeah. think. Um, and I, I mean, I don't think they cooked the food themselves.
0: Um, <laughs> you think they had someone food. there manning the barbecue? Oh, yeah.
1: I mean, they, well, it was food for two nights. Food for the rehearsal, which was all Indian food. And then food for the the wedding, which was like kind of grilled meats and various things. I don't think they did it themselves. I think they had some kind of grill master and they got the food from some Indian caterer. I don't think they did it themselves. Not at all.
0: That cake looked ex- looked very expensive.
1: Yes, it was huge. It was, it huge, was huge for huge. the amount of people that were there. You know, they went to a salon to get their hair done. We didn't see them get their makeup done or anything, and that's definitely a lot cheaper than having like a makeup and hair artist come mm-hmm. out to you. I'm trying to think of anything that seemed extravagant to me yeah. besides their house. <laughs> um,
0: having, having yeah. the, the privilege of having a giant house is yes. a great way to save money on the actual wedding, but you have to first have the giant house. Yes. You have to have the giant house first. It, well I
1: mean, or know someone with a giant house at the very least. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, I mean, I know it's becoming more popular to rent really swanky Airbnbs for smaller weddings. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some Airbnb hosts who specifically rent places out for events because they know that people are wanting something that's smaller, but still nice and not necessarily, um, you know, a super low budget backyard wedding they're wanting like a more kind of luxe feel to it
0: a luxe um, backyard wedding
1: yes <laughs> exactly
0: the glamping version of a backyard
1: wedding exactly I mean I love backyard weddings garden weddings things like that I feel like there's so much you can save because you're not having to decorate as much mm-hmm um, because it's all kind of outdoors and already beautiful. So that's a tip. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, um, inter- if you wanted to have a backyard wedding, this is probably, except for the all of the Indian stuff that we don't really know if was like cultural appropriation or not, this could be a, a good model to follow, just yeah. having it in a giant house somewhere a little bit more remote and having a smaller guest list. Fewer people, always cheaper. Oh yeah, for sure.
0: Well, Diana, thank you so much for being my guest today. Yes. And for going through this super emotional movie with me.
1: I know, I know. So uh, just like get ready to cry. If you, if you have, pent up emotions and you need a good cry this is the movie to watch for yes, sure yes yes but yeah if anyone comes to austin and you want to hang or get some vegan tacos barbecue tacos or any kind of tacos just let me know and we'll hang um and if you're getting married call me <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: thank you again yeah thank you jen bye bye the Catalyst Wedding Review Podcast is a production of Catalyst Wedding Co. Show your support of Catalyst and this podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash catalystwedco You can find real wedding inspiration and advice for feminists, the LGBTQ plus community and woke folk at www.catalystwedco.com. And if you're engaged in looking for wedding vendors that share your values, then look no further than the Catalyst Vendor Directory. Also, follow us at Catalyst Wedco on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. Our theme song was composed by Momentum. Our co-founders are Liz Susong and Carly Romeo. Our operations manager is Marley Hilton. Our editorial team consists of Amber Marlow, Michaela Deeds, Jordan Maney, and Cindy Savage. Our intern is Sydney Zwick. Our advertising and sponsorship team consists of Katie Wannon and Erica Swift. For advertising or sponsorship inquiries, email sales at catalystwedco.com. As always, I am Jen Samako, the CEO of Catalyst Wedding Co. And I am always open to hearing your thoughts. Send your ideas and comments to jen at catalystwedco.com. Thanks everyone and have a great week disrupting the wedding industry.